0: Oh, so, you're saying the federal government actually, I've never heard this before, they actually send medical marijuana to someone to use while still classifying it as an illegal drug with no medical use?
1: That is correct.
0: Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back, folks, to the Lions of Liberty podcast. This is episode number 97. Before we get into today's show, I want to take a second to let you know about Health Excellence Select, an amazing alternative to Obamacare, which utilizes health sharing to cover your medical costs. That's Health Excellence Select. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is a criminal defense attorney based out of West Palm Beach, Florida. He has dedicated his practice to understanding medical cannabis laws in the state of Florida and throughout the United States. He's also a board member and legal director of the Florida chapter of Normal, the national organization for the reform of medical marijuana laws. He was most recently successful in the legal defense of Jesse Teplicki, a Florida man who was facing felony charges for growing marijuana to combat his anorexia, a case we have been covering here at lionsofliberty.com. Michael Minardi, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast.
1: Hello, thank you very much for having me and covering this issue an important one in the state of Florida right
0: now. It absolutely is. It's an important issue for people all over the country, all over the world, and I'm glad there are people out there like yourself that are, are doing more than we're doing. We're just drawing attention to it, but you're actually out there on the ground trying to help people overcome you know any medical issues they might have and the legal issues that they might have as a result of trying to treat those issues. Before we get more into the Jesse DiPlicki case, which as I mentioned we've we've been following over here, our own contributor John Odermatt has covered it as a part of his weekly Felony Friday column. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute but first i want to learn a little bit more about yourself so why don't you just start by telling us how you first got into the legal game why did you put yourself through law school and go through all that hard work that it takes to become a lawyer
1: well i'm originally from new hampshire i'm um, an italian born child and i used to argue with everybody in my family and everyone used to tease me and say i was going to be the mafia lawyer and for some reason that sparked an interest in my brain in the law And in junior high, I took a business law class, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then it progressed from there. Ever since then, as long as I can remember, I wanted to go to law school and become an attorney. And it wasn't probably until high school or college when I started reading High Times and learning about all the misconceptions our society has been given about cannabis and about the war on drugs, you know, I grew up like many of, I'm sure your listeners watching those, this is your brain on drugs commercial and frying and people, you know, just being devastated as a result of drugs. But realistically, when you learn about it and you learn the actual facts, the biggest reality is that the illegality and the prohibition of, of drugs and especially cannabis, a safe, effective medication and substance that the biggest harm that comes to people is getting arrested and prosecuted. And that's really where I got my start and really got my passion for this. Um, I did have some interaction with law enforcement when I was younger. One of my uh, ex-girlfriends in high school, her dad was the commander of police in my local police force, and he was... um, I would have to say, to say it nicely, less than ethical. Um, and at that point in time, I I began a, a, an additional distaste for authority and for law enforcement and the hypocrisy of how they work.
0: So without getting into details, per se, you, you saw him maybe doing things in his in his own life that were sort of contradictory to maybe the laws that he was enforcing?
1: Well, when you're 16 years old and every time you go over to someone's house, they offer you a beer... Um, right. yeah, <laughs> it was a little contradicting to what you had always believed that uh, law enforcement should do, and it always put a bad taste in my mouth for um, law enforcement, or, or at least what they stand for and what they preach is entirely opposite than how they act and what they do.
0: So with your interest in the cannabis issue, did did you have that going into your law career then? Was that always your goal to try to focus on helping people or did that come a little bit later on?
1: No, I only went to law school realistically. Uh, Originally, I wanted to get involved in politics, but the main reason was to help end prohibition. Um, High Times, when I was reading it during college, they used to have an ad that definitely hit me and it, it talked about, you know, most people go on to to higher education not harder drugs in in law school so it was always a passion of mine and again it was it was really the just the lies that reading that magazine which everybody can see now on the internet you know all the information that's out there about cannabis now the medical benefits of it the only place i think you could have gotten it back in the early 90s was for magazines like high times and, and really i think that was probably one of the only ones in existence at the time that was dealing with the medical with cannabis um so it, it was really all those lies and then you know as years progress, my, my dad passed away when i was 11 um of a heart attack and my mom smoked cigarettes up until she died in 2003 And and that continued to fuel my fire and that she would not touch any sort of cannabis products at all because our government said it was bad for you. But yet she smoked something that kills 440,000 people a year every single day until she died. Literally, you know, I, I held her last cigarette in her mouth before she passed away. Um, and because she didn't have the strength to do it herself, but she was so addicted to this thing that had obviously destroyed her her body, um, she couldn't stop or, or at that point was dying and didn't want to stop and said, screw it.
0: Cigarettes, something that is taken for granted as being totally legal, nothing anybody should go to jail for. Uh, Of course, we did see the Eric Garner case where a man was actually killed for selling them on the black market. But uh, generally, cigarettes are completely legal. No one thinks anybody should be a criminal for having them. And yet it is far more addictive than than almost any drug out there. I mean, people's lives are are thoroughly affected by cigarettes. My own mother smokes cigarettes. I'm not joking with this number for literally Almost 50 years, and she actually did quit smoking uh, cigarettes a few years ago, which which is which was phenomenal to me. She smoked from the age of 15 to 65, so I'm glad she finally did that. But she she is suffering medical effects, many of which we can definitely attribute to the fact that she smoked cigarettes for 50 years. Let's talk a little bit more about the marijuana laws in Florida. I know they had recently passed a vote in favor of medical marijuana, but it did not reach the required 60% threshold. So what is the current legal status of marijuana in the state of Florida? It's
1: illegal. Bottom line, it is illegal.
0: It's like guns in New Jersey, huh?
1: That's it. Um, The only potential, and and, what we raise in the Plicky case and what people could potentially raise is an affirmative defense based on medical necessity saying that you you have a medical necessity for its use Um, that would be the only way that you could be justified doesn't make it legal for you it doesn't make it so that you won't be arrested but what it does allow you to do is go into court and say hey listen I'm not guilty of this because I'm justified in using it based on my medical conditions I've tried all the available medications that are available and they have provided me no relief they've caused me horrible side effects Therefore, I, I need cannabis in order to preserve my own life. But otherwise, it's absolutely illegal. Right. So why don't you get a little bit more,
0: as you mentioned there, the Jesse Toplicky case. So why don't we talk a little bit more about his specific situation? What was he growing cannabis for? Why did he feel he needed to grow it in such massive amounts? I know they found a large number of marijuana plants in his home. And what were the specific charges levied against him?
1: Well, he was charged with um, manufacturing of cannabis. And let's just get, you know, the, the clearest to, um, and I know a lot of people out there may think 46 plants sounds like a lot, but, you know, number one, a lot of people have them in different stages. So you don't just have the plant and as soon as you have the plant, there's your medicine. You have to wait a period of time, typically 90 to 120 days for that plant to produce medication. Depending on how you grow it, your experience, your knowledge will depend on how much you can actually get off that plant. You know, it could be a matter of a few grams um, up to ounces that you can get off one plant. But you know, 46 plants in, in different stages is a big difference than having, say, 46 plants budding all at one time and then having a large harvest. You know, So I, I think, and never mind the fact that just like any of your garden plants, like for example, I have cucumbers that I'm growing right now, they're being infested by bugs and I just cut out some of them the other day because, and that's the same thing that can happen with cannabis plants. You may start with 46, you may end up with 20 or none potentially if you have a really bad infestation of mold or bugs. There's also an issue here in Florida with regards to the fall and the humidity it's extremely difficult, it's my understanding, I'm talking from different clients and growers, to grow outside in the summer and fall in the state of Florida because in all likelihood you're going to end up with some mold on your buds because of the humidity levels. So 46 plants, and you realize in a lot of states, and especially like California, you know they have 25 plants outside that are growing 8 to 10 feet where people are getting anywhere from 2 to 4 pounds of plant off. Then we got to look at the federal government. Our federal government has established for years now, Mr. Irvin Rosenfeld over in Fort Lauderdale gets approximately, and I have one of his cans right here that he gets from the federal government every month, every 28 days, he gets um, 239.79 grams of cannabis. That is approximately 300 cigarettes, and it's approximately a half a pound a month. As to what the federal government, this is, this is the federal government, provides him approximately a half a pound a month prescribing him 10 to 12 cannabis cigarettes per day as his medication.
0: So you're, the federal government actually, I've never heard this before, they actually send medical marijuana to someone to use while, while still classifying it as an illegal drug with no medical use?
1: That is correct. Back in the early 80s and early 90s, there was something called the Investigational New Drug Program. And at that point in time, there were seven people who had access or were receiving cannabis from the federal government. I believe right now there is two still alive. One is Irvin Rosenfeld. The other one is a woman by the name of Elvie Musiki. Irvin Rosenfeld suffers from a, a rare bone disorder which causes tumors in his bones and LV Musiki suffers from glaucoma but they do they get a half a pound of cannabis per month from uh, I believe it's from University of Missouri where where they grow the federal government supply of cannabis but yes they have been and, and I know Irv has been getting it for approximately 30 years Wow! so every 28 days he gets a half a pound of cannabis from our taxpayer dollars.
0: Unbelievable. Of course, the few guys that are actually getting it from the federal government, we have to pay for it. Where We can't just have a market where, where people actually get it <laughs> if they need it. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the Desi DiPlecki case and, and how you went about the defense for that trial. I don't know how it works with in Florida with sort of the judges because I know I re- recently interviewed Brian Aitken, and this is sort of a separate issue. But um, in a way, it's not because you know, he was arrested for owning legal guns in New Jersey, and because of the sort of attitude of the legal system there in New Jersey – it was a hostile atmosphere from the very beginning. The judge actually told him you're guilty, the judge before they even even got to trial. So do you face any hostility from the legal system in Florida from judges by the mere fact that you are defending people against medical cannabis?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I am lucky enough, I guess, to, Um, this to be a big part of my business right now, and I travel throughout the state of Florida representing clients on this issue. And every judge I go in front of, every prosecutor I talk to about this,
0: you know,
1: first, I usually get laughs. I usually get laughed at. This doesn't exist in Florida. I had one judge in Bay County um, on, I believe it was beginning of February, I was telling the judge about medical cannabis and my client has this, you know, illness, he has PTSD, he's got three bullet wounds or bullets in his body still from being shot as, a, as, a, as, you know, serving for the country in the war and that's why he's using cannabis and the judge looked at me and he's like giggling, laughing, smiling and says, well, I know that it happens in other states but not here in Florida. Um, and that's a very, very common response I initially get. Most judges have absolutely no clue that this defense exists, and neither do prosecutors until I bring it up and, and educate them on it and present the case law. And then they still typically try to, you know, refuse that it exists or refuse that it's valid or do everything that they can to prevent it from being heard by a jury.
0: Do they actually ever try to tell the jury? I'm sure the prosecutor does this, but does the judge ever try to actually tell the jury that your defense is invalid or that they should ignore your defense? or How does that work?
1: Usually what would happen is the prosecutor will file a pretrial motion attempting to exclude the defense, and that is the basis as to how they do it. So no, the jury would never, ever hear that aspect of it. In the Toplecki case, and the Teplucky case did... I believe, create some precedent in the state of Florida for being able to allow this defense in addition to the two cases from the 4th DCA. But the state attorney's office in Broward County had challenged the qualifications of my doctor and his ability to testify on Mr. Taplicki's behalf about him using medical cannabis. And the the judge allowed the testimony, and the state attorney's office appealed that decision, and the appellate court found that he, he was allowed to testify. It wouldn't prevent the state from presenting their case. And obviously we know the result of what happened uh, after he was allowed to testify. So it'll be interesting to see as I move forward on these other cases. I have a couple of them coming up shortly um, within the next you know couple weeks to a month around the state that will be going forward. And every prosecutor in every county deals with this issue differently, so I'm sure I will see new challenges and new arguments by the state attorney's offices as to why my client should not be allowed to use this defense.
0: When you take on a client such as Jesse Taplicky, and and or perhaps this was his intent as well, I mean, I know he was facing up to five years in prison, potentially. So are you or were you and him always determined to take this to trial? Or is it not even a consideration to take a plea deal, despite the fact that he was facing up to five years in prison?
1: It all depends on the person. You know, unfortunately, finances come into somewhat a part of it because bringing in doctors and experts from out of state which typically most people have to do, is expensive. You know, it's my obligation as an attorney, regardless of what the client's position is initially, That is, if the state makes me any offers to relay it to them, make sure they understand the risks and rewards of it. Um, Mr. Duplicky, though, you know, was pretty much set on going to trial. um, From the beginning, he retained me and, and got rid of the attorney that he had prior to me because of that fact, and because of the fact that he didn't feel like he could live without it. Uh, And and so, and I think that's what a lot of these people are feeling at this point, because when you take an offer, you go on probation, you're drug tested every week, every month, whatever, but you're not going to be able to in all likelihood use your medication, your cannabis while you're on probation. So a lot of these people say, well, what are my alternatives? I go back on chronic pain patients. I go back on opiates and I become addicted again. And then a fog and, and, feel like I can't function on a daily basis, I go back on anti-psychotropic medications and, and feel suicidal or, or feel like they don't work or feel chemically castrated by the medications, or I continue to try different medications, for example, on a fibromyalgia case that end up putting me bedridden for 30 days and not being able to barely move or walk or care for myself at all. So people, um, you know, I think more now than ever before, are willing to fight for their rights And their life, really, because that's what most of these people are in situations where they feel like without this medication, they're going to have significant side effects to their health, their relationships, and and their life. Um, So I, I think more and more people, and especially I think seeing victories by other people, Gives them the confidence, and especially court support for from people in the community, people who support this issue, showing up and sitting in court, just being there, showing support for these patients, gives them the confidence that they're doing the right thing, and and I think you know in in a lot of aspects, it's the first time as a criminal defense attorney you walk into a courtroom. And you know that 57%, 58% of the people in Florida believe this should be allowed as a medication, that we're not the bad guys, that these people are not criminals, And, and most of them don't have any criminal records.
0: Can you just detail a little bit more about um, Mr. Tepley's actual condition? He was using this marijuana to treat anorexia, and I-, I feel like there's people out there that'll say, "Oh, so so the guy wasn't that hungry" or something like that. But I mean, this is a very serious medical anorexia. It's a very serious condition. So, and I'm sure this was what you had to explain to the jury, who may not really even been familiar with it outside of you know, picturing just a-, a girl who wants to lose weight for the prom or something like that. So, can you just describe this condition a little bit further?
1: yeah anorexia nervosa is basically a lifelong illness it's something that he was diagnosed with when he was nine years old that he had um, a failure to thrive meaning that at nine years old he was behind in weight and size for his age then for years during his you know minor years from nine ten until he was 14 15 was going to the hospital every six months they were checking his height and weight and he continued to uh, be in the category of failure to thrive, failure to gain weight, failure to grow as most people would as a result of of growth, just natural growth and getting older. And that's really when it started. He didn't eat. He didn't have an appetite. Um, there is some indication that back in those days that his doctor believed that he had a misfiring in his brain meaning and we know now today that there's actually different cannabinoid receptors in our brain that regulate vegetative functions and there's actually evidence that recently came out uh, a study I believe it was out of Europe that shows even people with obesity can benefit and lose weight by using cannabis because of the different things that it triggers in your brain and prevents people from overeating ironically. Uh, So, these are things that we didn't know back then as to how cannabinoids work in our body, but this is a disease that he faced and he dealt with up until he was 17 without using cannabis. When he was 17, uh, I believe he was with his uncle and his uncle, you know, turned him on to cannabis and he used it for the first time and it was the first time in his life he wanted to eat, the first time that food tasted good to him Uh, and he realized later on that what, was, what caused that difference in my body? Why did I want to eat? And he realized it was the cannabis. And so thereafter, when I believe he was 18, he started using it more regularly. In the first six weeks of him using cannabis regularly, he gained 13 pounds. The f- previous four years in high school, he had only gained 10 pounds all four years. Wow. And now in six weeks, he's gaining 13 pounds. He has a desire to eat. He's not throwing up every morning. Uh, so realistically, it's a change in science. Um, but anorexia nervosa, there's a higher suicide rate. There's a earlier death rate among anorexia patients that most people don't realize. You know, uh, the lack of nutrition in your body from not eating and a lot of things, and not a chronic illness from nine years old, but some of the people who develop it later on in the life, it's more of a psychological issue versus a physical issue. And with Mr. Taplicki's case, when it started at nine, it seemed to be clearly from our doctor's testimony that this was a physical issue that he had. And the science supports the fact that when he uses cannabis, it triggers this CB1 receptor that is also responsible for appetite.
0: Now, Mikey, you mentioned before our interview that you did not consider this a case of jury nullification. And, and my very cursory non-legal analysis of this originally was that I believed that it was. Obviously, I, I trust your opinion over mine. So why do you believe that this is not nullification per se, despite the fact that, that it is completely illegal in Florida? Do you see that the medical defense is sort of something separate from the concept of, of a jury actually nullifying a bad law?
1: Yes. A jury nullification is if I went in there and presented no defense, and didn't percent a medical necessity defense. And jury nullification is based on exactly that. A jury deciding, saying, hey, I don't like this law. He's absolutely guilty of it, so I'm going to find him not guilty because they don't like the law. But the best analogy to this would be a, a murder case or if someone breaks into your house and you shoot somebody. Obviously, shooting somebody is not legal. You can't do it. It's against the law. But you may be justified in doing it because your safety was in danger, because they broke into your house, because you felt like George Zimmerman, and, and granted, some people believe that was a jury nullification issue because it was uh, a non-black person versus a white person. You know, I don't know what the jury decided. And is it possible the jury could have said this is a jury nullification issue? Yes talking to the jurors after and hearing their comments in this case. I don't believe so. I believe we've proved that he had a condition. There's basically three elements. So the difference between jury nullification and an affirmative defense is jury nullification. You typically don't present a defense. You know, you just basically say this law is wrong and you should find them guilty, not guilty because of it. And the jury does that. An affirmative defense is where we actually had to present evidence we had to bring in a doctor to testify. We had to bring in an expert to testify that this was for personal use. And Mr. DePlicki had to testify as to his medical condition and how it's affected him in order to prove three different elements. And we feel that we proved those elements to the jury. One, that he didn't bring about this disease himself. He didn't go out and intentionally contract it. It's not like he found somebody with AIDS and said, hey, I want to have sex with you so I can get AIDS so I can then use cannabis. He didn't do that. Um, number two, that he had went through a, re- a series of, of medications and that there were no other effective treatments for him or alternatives that he could use. And number three, the harm that he was doing to society, i.e. causing and, or growing and using cannabis in his home was less of a harm to society than the harm that would become of him, i.e. not being able to eat, potentially dying in the hospital, you know, with all co- kinds of medical side effects. So that is really the difference between the two. We feel, or I feel, and actually I know, we proved an affirmative defense. And the juror, one of the jurors said it. He's like, we had compassion for him. This is an illness that he had to deal with since he was nine years old, and it's clear that cannabis worked for him. So that, to me, says that they looked at the facts They looked at the law and they weren't just like, oh, this guy had pot. We don't care about pot. We're going to let him go for no reason. I believe that we did file, you know, present a a very legitimate with one of the best doctors in the world on medical cannabis to illustrate that he had a reasonable fear that, you know, he could suffer death or great bodily injury if he didn't have it and that's kind of and that's that's the aspect of it that's the difference between jury nullification jury nullification is regardless of the law the jury says the person's not guilty i don't think they ignored the law in this case i think they listened to the law and they believed that mr toplicki legitimately was using this for medical purposes and it's the same thing with the kathy jordan case you know the kathy jordan case we had the prosecutor in that case brian iten wrote a memo Stating that he didn't believe that if they went to trial, that they'd be able to overcome the state, the defendant's affirmative defense of medical necessity.
0: Interesting. So that case never made it to trial, then? Correct. Gotcha.
1: That's interesting. No, they never even filed charges against her.
0: Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's even even better for her, I guess. Oh, it is. And and you know what?
1: I don't think they wanted the publicity of bringing a woman in a wheelchair. Right. To, right. To trial.
0: No, that, that is not good PR at all. It, it essentially comes down to the difference between, even though you might in your own life want to challenge the law and think it's a bad law, your legal defense is not based on challenging the law. It's simply based on proving that your client was justified in, in breaking that law.
1: Absolutely. That is exactly it. And, and like I said, the best thing that most people see is, and I think most people can, can relate to, is someone breaking into your house and you shooting them. You know, again, shooting someone... Uh, It isn't legal, but if someone's breaking into your house and threatening your safety, then you have a justification for doing so.
0: Understood. Michael, I've got just a couple more questions for you, but first, I need to take a minute to give a little love to our sponsors at Health Excellence Select. Now, until last year, I was just like you guys. I saw my health insurance costs double and my deductibles skyrocket thanks to the Obamacare health insurance mandates. Determined not to participate in this corporatist scheme, I sought an alternative and found out about health sharing, a fantastic concept in which your monthly fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not into the pockets of some crony capitalist fat cat. Health Excellence Select combines health sharing with a patient care personal assistant, 24-7 phone access to board-certified physicians, and discounts on dental, vision, and other benefits. The best part is that for most people, plans with Health Excellence Select are much more affordable than Obamacare insurance, and it meets the legal mandate, so you will not be fined for using it in lieu of insurance. But for more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. Just a couple more questions, Michael. And uh, one of them might not be the most professional question, but I'm just wondering if you have any opinion on on you know we have over half of states have at least medical marijuana laws in place. Many states have recreational or are starting to make to legalize recreational marijuana even. So why is Florida so behind at the Times?
1: If I could answer that question, I'd probably be a millionaire. I have no idea. You know, I, I think obviously, unfortunately, the No on 2 campaign um, ran a campaign with a lot of lies and misconception, the same thing that our federal government has been doing. Amendment 2 was uh, on the ballot last year in 2014. It would have established a medical cannabis law in the state of or actually a constitutional amendment to allow people to use medical cannabis for certain conditions. Uh, That law was required because we in Florida voted on changing it from 50 to 60%. Uh, We needed a 60% vote or a supermajority in order to pass that law. We lost it with 58% of the vote. Um, So... I don't know. Um, I would like to think that, and I was up in Tallahassee uh, a week or so ago, I believe, and talking to many of the different legislators about it. uh, Number one, they believe that if they support cannabis, they're being soft on crime. Number two, they believe if they support cannabis or a lot of the people are older Um, and not necessarily younger generations, and they're programmed with those just-say-no commercials and and this is your brain on drug commercials and cannabis being associated with cocaine and heroin and all drugs are the same, that they're programmed. And this is what one of the aides told me, you know, my senator is 61 years old. He's programmed against this drug because it's a bad drug. Uh, And for some reason, people are under the misconception that FDA-approved drugs are good for you or healthy or have no side effects, which is entirely inaccurate. Uh, I mean, FDA-prescribed drugs kill over 100,000 people a year, and that continues to be the legislature's stance. Well, it's not FDA-approved. Well, what do FDA-approved drugs really mean? absolutely nothing. It means that some pharmaceutical company paid a whole lot of money to get their drug approved and tested, but not that it doesn't mean it doesn't have side effects. They knew when Viagra came out that Viagra had deadly side effects. Viagra's killed over 2,500 people.
0: Wow, I had never heard that before.
1: Yeah, most people don't. So when it was introduced, it was the fastest selling drug ever. But the federal government and the FDA knew that it had potential to kill people even before it was released. But they didn't care because they realized, I think, the market value of that drug. And I know that it may have some medical effects for people. But I, I say this all the time: Viagra is a recreational drug.
0: Sure.
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how else to view the commercials that they have for it or not. But commercials insinuated so you can have sex. You know, and whether or not erectile dis- dysfunction is a medical condition or not, I understand it is. But you're not going to die.
0: You just might not have as much fun as, as, as some other people, I guess. But. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. You may lose your wife, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I, I think it's hypocrisy, I think it's money. We know, looking at the facts, that the pharmaceutical companies and big pharma, number one, the, the makers of oxycodone and Vicodin, I believe, uh, those two corporations are the, the biggest supporters and funders of Drug-Free America and Drug-Free America for Kids. Um, and, and realize oxycodone is one of the most d- addictive drugs that we have right now on the market. And, you know, my doctor, Dr. Petro, you know, said this, he's like, and I've heard other doctors who believe in cannabis say this, why would a doctor, why would any prescription company actually want to heal somebody? Why would they want to cure any diseases? Uh, financially, that doesn't make sense. They want to treat the diseases long enough so that you have to continue to use and purchase their medications plain and simple. Um, And that's why pharmaceutical companies are a $291 billion industry in this country, approximately $900 billion worldwide.
0: Wow, yeah. And like you said, there's just no consistency when it comes to the laws, when it comes to the FDA and the kinds of things they approve while the DEA and the FDA still classifies marijuana as, as a drug with no medical benefit, while at the same time, they still send marijuana to people for medical reasons. They also have patents on marijuana for medical use, so even the laws, as stated, are completely hypocritical and contradictory, and, and it's very obvious by looking at the pharmaceutical industry and their massive influence. I had never heard that about Viagra killing that many people. Uh, I think that's 2,500 more than marijuana's ever killed as far as I know, so uh, it, it's certainly a h- hypocrisy in the law Laws, hypocrisy and the enforcement of the laws. And Michael, I'm so glad there are people like you out there that are at least on a case by case basis, able to defend people and help people that do have serious medical needs and, and reasons to be using medical cannabis for their own health. So uh, I do thank you for joining me today. And, and, and like I said, thanks so much for what you do. You know, lawyers often get a bad name for whatever reason, but uh, a lot of them are out there just trying to help people navigate an unjust legal system. And, and you are certainly doing noble work so, Michael, before I let you go, why don't you just tell everybody out there, maybe there's someone listening that might be able to use your services in a medical defense. So how can people get in touch with your your law practice and get in touch with you? And, and feel free to plug anything else you, you'd like to plug, uh, perhaps your work with Normal or, or anything like that.
1: Yeah, no no doubt. Um, you know, I, I do encourage anyone who's interested in this issue to get involved with organizations normal of florida like you said i am a board member and legal director of normal florida we do have chapters in central and northern florida number two the silver tour which is a great event educating seniors on medical marijuana i am a board member of that organization and also florida cannabis action network which actually does a lot of lobbying and tries to change the laws through the legislature that way those are all organizations great organizations that i encourage everyone to get involved with uh, if anybody wants to contact me, I'm at Kelly Cronenberg. I'm a partner here. My number is 561-684-5956. You can either go to my personal website, www.Minardilaw.com. That's M-I-N-A-R-D-I-L-A-W.com. And, you know, feel free to reach out to me and, and ask me your questions Um, The best thing to do, I think, is if you are involved in this issue at all, that you get and make sure that you know your rights, you know how to protect yourself and your property. Unfortunately, a lot of people get busted from anonymous tips. It seems to be the only way people get arrested. You have to make sure that you know how to protect your property and to protect yourself from the dreaded knock and talk or stops and things like that. And I also do consults for people so that they can learn their rights and know their rights a little bit better and and to be comfortable with exercising those rights because there's a big difference between knowing your rights, and then when you're in the pressure and the situation of a cop coming up to your window actually exercising those rights. I hope everybody will vote and contact your legislators and let them know how you feel about this issue. Unfortunately, um, the state of Florida the legislature is not going to pass any comprehensive medical cannabis bill this term. They are still working on a low-THC, high-CBD bill, which personally I understand may help some people, but it's my understanding is not sufficient. Actually, I know it's not sufficient to help most people. There's very little studies on the CBD drug, and there are a lot of studies on THC's effectiveness, um, number one, in killing cancer cells uh, and especially. Um, And these are things that people need to realize, need to go to Normal's website, check out all the different indications and illnesses that they have. And you want to talk about irony. While we're sitting here trying to pass medical cannabis laws in this country, we have GW Pharmaceuticals in the past couple of years has um, written and gotten approved for two new patents, one for cannabis extracts in the treatment of Diabetes 2, One for actually three, I should say, one for a drug called Epidiolex, what they're trying to do, um, which is a high CBD drug, which they're doing trials on now in children around the country for epilepsy and seizures. And number three, um, they have a patent for cannabis extracts for the treatment of cancer. Um, a certain type of cancer, but all those GW Pharmaceuticals has those patents right now in this country. And if anybody saw the Sanjay Gupta shows, they have a huge grow house in the UK that they are using plant extracts in order to establish different medications. Um, we all have problems with the medical system. There's been much debate between the Republicans and the Democrats about our medical system in the past years, about the cost of our medical system. And the bottom line is, is that there's over, at least that I know, of, probably 20 different illnesses that could be effectively and safely treated with a plant that people can grow in their backyard. And I, I encourage everyone to vote for that, everyone to speak out for that, and to make sure that they hear our voice because this next presidential election is going to be huge. Like you said, that there are now four states plus Washington, D.C., that have some sort of legalization in effect in their areas, and it's sad to see that we can allow the proliferation of tobacco and alcohol and yet still villainize people for using cannabis over cannabis over tobacco over alcohol or over prescription medication, knowing that it's safer. I feel our federal government is violating people's civil rights on a daily basis by preventing them from using this life-saving medication. So thank you very much for taking your time and bringing awareness to this issue. Um, The more people that are educated about it, I think the more power that we will have to influence change in our government in this country.
0: Absolutely, Michael, and that, that is our aim here at Lions of Liberty, to bring attention to a lot of these issues that are affecting people and to show how a lot of people don't have the liberty that they should have in this country, even though we are supposedly the land of the free, and thank God there are people like you out there that are working to actually help people get their freedom, like Jesse DiPlecki, who now can safely live a life using cannabis to treat his medical condition, whereas at the same time, there's many other people who who still cannot, so that, that's what we got to work on changing, and, and in the meantime, thank God we got people out there like yourself that are are actively trying to uh, to help people out. So keep up the great work, Michael. It was a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you very much. Have a great day, Mark.
0: Take care, Michael. Hey, guys. Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of Liberty Daily. We bring you the morning roar. That's right. Every Monday to Friday, we'll have a brand new edition of the morning roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LionsofLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily.
1: LionsofLiberty.com slash
0: Wow, guys, what an awesome interview with Michael Minardi. If I do say so myself, not patting myself on the back, he was just a great guest. I didn't know much about him before I contacted him. I only knew essentially about his involvement with the Jesse tip case, which, of course, we have covered here at lionsofliberty.com at Felony Friday. We'll, of course, link to our articles about this case in today's show notes. And um, it's really amazing the work that Michael has been doing, especially in Florida, which it's pretty much has the toughest marijuana laws in the country, or it's at least tied for the toughest laws in the country because marijuana is 100% completely illegal there. But thankfully for people like him, even in a place where there are no medical marijuana laws, there's no legal avenue for someone suffering from a medical condition who uses marijuana to help them with it. It's great to see that even in a state without medical marijuana laws, without any sort of legal avenue for someone who has a problem that requires medical cannabis to aid them with it, that there are still methods by which you can present a case to a jury and find that person essentially not guilty of a crime that they are guilty of, according to the the law. So um, it's, it's very fascinating the way he took that defense. I had assumed it was jury nullification, but I am not the lawyer. I am not the expert. Michael Minardi is. and And I'm so glad there are people out there that have dedicated years in law school, dedicated the bar exam, doing all this so they can help people live a better life, live a healthier life, live a happier life, and live a more free life. And that is something that marijuana does do for very many people. And as he mentioned, the hypocrisy out there, we discussed this with Mary Ruart back in episode number 89. The FDA doesn't say that all drugs are safe and there are no bad side effects and they aren't addictive. It just lays out a a method of testing that other companies must do and abide by and go through to get their drugs approved. And, you know, they may even be aware of negative consequences, such as with Viagra. I had never heard that Viagra was being held responsible for the deaths of 2,500 people. That blows my mind. Uh, And that's an FDA-approved drug, folks. Meanwhile, Jesse Toplicki had to spend thousands and thousands of dollars, bringing in doctors, launching a legal defense just to take marijuana so that he can eat, so that he doesn't wither away and die. This is why I do the show, folks. This is why I do the show. This is the kind of injustices that fire me up. These are the kind of injustices that that just make me boil, make my blood boil. The idea that we actually have... Laws, and therefore people in society that support laws that prevent people from using a plant, a naturally growing plant, to aid themselves medically or recreationally as far as I'm concerned, but at the very least medically. I would say it's discouraging, but you know what? I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by the shift I'm seeing. I'm encouraged by people like Michael Minardi. I'm encouraged by organizations like Normal. I'm encouraged by the sweeping marijuana legalization movement going across the United States right now. And marijuana is the most highly used illegal substance in the United States by far. So if we can knock down the walls of marijuana, I mean, the other stuff is drops in the bucket. I don't think anybody should go to jail simply for owning a substance if they have not harmed anyone else. But marijuana is certainly the biggest and most important place to start. And until it's completely legal, we do need people like Michael Minardi out there trying to help people and trying to enable people to launch a legal defense for themselves. And I know Michael Minardi is going to keep doing what he's doing. We're going to keep doing what we're doing here at the Lions of Liberty podcast. At our home, lionsofliberty.com. Please do come check us out. You can find us on the old Facebook, facebook.com slash lions of liberty. Find us on Twitter at lions of liberty. You can join our Facebook group, the lions of liberty forum and discuss all these issues with us. Give us input on the podcast present questions for guests anything you want you can interact with all our contributors there we'll of course link to all this stuff in the show notes we're on youtube now too folks don't forget i'm slowly posting all the podcasts up there on youtube so check out our youtube channel as well you can hear us every week of course itunes stitcher we are now on TuneIn radio if you have an amazon echo all you gotta do is say alexa play me the lions of liberty podcast and you are listening just like that this is fascinating stuff Of course, LRN.FM, Liberty Radio Network every single week. LibertyTalk.FM, 6 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, Sunday. There are so many ways to hear this show. Your only excuse for not listening is if you just don't like the sound of my voice. And folks, there's nothing I can do about that. I'm sorry. Until next week, folks, live long and live free.
1: in mastery is John Doblin.